I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. It goes from everything like black to the bright reds of the colored stem dogwoods, oranges and yellows from the willows. Barry Clark is a botanist at the Sir Harold Hillier Gardens in Hampshire. He's talking about their winter garden, which boasts a welcome riot of color in the colder months. It's a really encouraging thing to see colour in the garden. It makes you think, well, the year actually isn't over. It's keeping on going. It's keeping on producing. My gardeners keep on giving me beautiful things to see. And I think it's uplifting. Today on Gardening with the RHS, we're finding the bright shades in this darker season. Later in the show, we'll hear how to add splashes of colour to our plots. Plus, we take things indoors to learn more about a particular plant that shines red through Christmas, but has many other uses. The Aztecs also used to use poinsettias. There's evidence of them using poinsettias in temples and around the tombs of warriors because it was associated with new life. I'm Fiona Davison. Let's get cracking. Let's rejoin Barry now on a tour of the Sir Harold Hillier Gardens winter displays. I think a lot of people think that wintertime is about gloomy sort of gardens, but it doesn't have to be like that at all. There is so much colour, and it's not just in coloured stems, but you've also got things like persistent fruit. So one of my favourite plants at this time of year is the Calicarpa, the beauty berry, with its masses of these tiny little purple berries, which just adds so much colour to the garden in winter. And of course, the amazing evergreens. And when we say evergreen, we don't just mean green. There are so many different shades of green, of course, but there's also variegation. So you can get yellow variegation, cream variegation in foliage. So things like the hedra, the ivies, we display a selection of different ivies, growing them up sleepers, which are standing upright. And you get some really beautiful leafed hedra ivies that look amazing at this time of year. So yes, I suppose the foliage, fruit, architectural structure, and colored stems and peeling bark, those are the highlights at this time of year. Our winter garden here at the Sarah Hilly Gardens is fantastic because it does change from season to season. It's best in the winter time, but at the moment we're in that sort of crossover between autumn and winter. So there's still a bit of colour 
autumn colour within our winter garden too, which is gradually falling away to reveal lots of architectural structure in the trees and shrubs that we have. It's revealing coloured stems, interesting bark. There are evergreens, there are evergreen grasses and sedges. There are the late season bulbs coming through. There are the early season bulbs and herbaceous coming through. So there's lots to see throughout this time in the garden. Some of my favorite parts of this area are the canes, the colored canes, for example. We have quite a lot of interesting corners, for example, the dogwoods. We have lots of interesting salix, coloured stemmed willows. There are also lots of textures to be seen as well. So I enjoy the barks, the peeling barks on the things like the eucalyptus, the paper bark maple, Asa Grisham. Also the beautiful barks on the snake bark maples, those striations, the white striations that you get down the, the stem and branches, which make it look like snake skin. That's really attractive at this time of year. And there are lots of more unusual trees and shrubs in there that perhaps you wouldn't have come across in your local garden centre, but uh, you can see some really exotic things with, uh, again, peeling barks, etc. If you wanted to make your own winter garden at home, it's incredibly easy. First, I would start with the structure. So you need some structure plants. Shrubs is going to be your structure. Not everyone has got the space for trees. So unless you've got a big area, I would first start with your shrubs. And there are plenty of shrubs which are really controllable as well. People are worried that some shrubs will just get out of control. But if you're going for colored stems, like the dogwoods or the willows, they are very easy to control by coppicing. That's when you cut them basically down to the ground once they finish their season of interest. So in the spring, as they start to come into leaf, you chop them down and they'll grow back for next year. So keeping them under control. After you've got your structure with the shrubs, that's when you can put in your perennials and your evergreen sedges and grasses. And then if you've got space for a few trees, maybe you could have a couple of interesting specimen trees that give you interesting bark through the winter time or even evergreen foliage. I think it's important to have colour in the garden in the winter because it is a time of year where everyone is a little down because things are dying back. Uh, you go into your garden and there's lots of work to do, but it seems like you're clearing away and you're cutting back and you're taking out things. And it's a like a winding down time of year for people. But it's a really encouraging thing to see colour in the garden. It makes you think, well, the year actually isn't over. It's keeping on going. It's keeping on producing. My gardeners keep on giving me beautiful things to see. And I think it's uplifting. It is generally uplifting and encouraging to have colour in the garden in the winter time, I feel. Barry Clark talking to us from the Sir Harold Hillier Gardens, which is an RHS partner garden, one of over 200 green spaces across the country that RHS members can access for free or discounted entry at certain times. See the links on our programme page for more details. Just a reminder though, as things are ever-changing, before you set off, please do check with the gardens that they're open and whether you need to book your visit in advance. Chatting to Barry has inspired me to get more colour into my garden all year long. I just don't know where to start. 
Luckily for me, garden designer Juliet Sargent is here with her top tips on how to inject some vibrant colour into our gardens. Colour is absolutely essential in the garden because human beings are visual beings. Our mood and what we do, how we feel, how we behave is all affected by colours in the garden. So, for example, if there's a blue colour scheme, we'll feel sort of a little bit cooler, more relaxed. If there's vibrant reds and oranges, then it perks us up and we feel a bit livelier. And of course, green is the most relaxing colour for human beings. Well, I think the first thing to remember is that there are lots of hard landscaping elements in your garden that are there all the time. So even the bricks on your house, the paving that you use, the benches, pots, sculpture, all those things that are there for 12 months of the year, they have colour in them as well. So don't forget that. But when it comes to plants, there are lots of plants that do have colour and interest through the seasons. We tend to think a lot about flowers, but of course leaves, a lot of the leaves are there certainly for six, eight months of the year and the evergreens are there for 12 months of the year. They keep their leaves all year round. And so I use a lot of evergreens for winter interest, particularly variegated leaves. So those are leaves that have got a splash of yellow or cream, even red on them. And they're really great for brightening up a winter border and then some things do flower in the winter months we think that everything goes to bed but actually things like cyclamen and then winter camellias I've got a lovely camellia by my front door called yuletide and it's just starting to flower now and it comes out with bright scarlet flowers quite delicate really for a camellia with little yellow bristles of stamens in the center and as the name suggests it's just so cheery at Christmas time and it's not a massive camellia so you can keep it in a pot and just enjoy it through the winter months and then of course winter pansies are a real favorite they're great in the ground but they're also great in a pot again by the front door it's a, a really cheery thing to have in the winter months. Colour is such a personal thing. There are sort of rules, there are colour theories and rules. But in a sense, I think if you're working in your own garden, you just need to do what makes you smile, what makes you happy. And one of the most popular colour schemes that I'm asked to do when I'm designing people's gardens is pastel shades. Things like pale pinks, purples, blues and whites, because they're such an elegant, such a relaxing colour scheme to have. So I would say that's the most popular and you just can't go wrong with that. But also, if you want something a little bit zingier, you can contrast colours. So you can, for example, put blue with orange and and that really makes people think, wow, that's a bit different. And purples with yellows, that's another contrasting colour scheme. But what I'm spending a lot of time playing with at the moment is the colour apricot, apricot and peachy tones. There are some really nice flowers, peonies, dahlias, geums that have those sort of tones. And the thing about apricot is that it works so well with lots of other colours. So apricot and purple, apricot and orange, apricot and blue. It really works well with other plants and it's just a bit different. So I, I really enjoy that. And I do quite a lot of rural gardens where I'm thinking about how the garden relates to the landscape beyond. So if you've got a view across the garden to fields or trees, And what I really like to do is think about 
how to change the colour scheme as you move from the area immediately around the house where you might have sort of really bright, what I call garden-esque colours. But then as you look out beyond the garden to the countryside, it's nice to tone the colours down a little bit so that they work with the natural tones of the trees and the fields beyond. So, for example, I'm doing a garden in Sussex and we're looking at ornamental grasses and straw-coloured flowers, apricot again, pale yellows, pale creams, so that they don't jar with the countryside beyond. My own garden is very much an experimental garden, so I tend to play around with different colours, things that I think are interesting. If I go somewhere else to another garden and I see something, I think, oh, I'll try that back at home. Or if I see something in the landscape and I think, oh, that's an interesting mix. So there's a lot of different things going on in my garden. I wouldn't call it coordinated (laughs) because there are different areas, but I just love playing around with it. A good way, if you like having fun with colour, a good way of doing it fairly cheaply so that you can change colour schemes is with things like tulips and dahlias because there are so many colours to choose from and it's relatively inexpensive to think, oh, you know, I'll try a new dahlia. How about black and yellow or how about green and brown? So you can just play around and I do that a lot in my own garden. It's really fun. Juliet Sargent. Hearing Juliet's tips has got me thinking about one of the most famous garden designers for bringing colour into the garden, and that's Gertrude Jekyll. We're lucky enough at the Lindley Library to have her scrapbook. But ironically for somebody who's so into her colour, the scrapbook is full of really intricate black and white drawings. And that's because it's from when Gertrude Jekyll was a young woman, and she was an artist who was really fascinated by intricate detail and pattern. And she only really got into using colour and into garden design as she got older and her eyesight failed. Gertrude Jekyll designed over 400 gardens in her lifetime and many of them are open to the public. When we're able to get out and about again and visit gardens, I really recommend that you go and find one. They're a fantastic inspiration. Juliet mentioned a number of plants there that flourish in the colder months. And another we'd like to showcase is a winter flowering iris, a plant close to one nursery owner's heart. My name's Claire Austin. I am a nurseryman, a plantsman. And one of the winter plants that I absolutely love is Iris unguicularis, which is also known as the Algerian iris or the winter flowering iris. The reason why I really like this plant is because it's a surprise in winter, because the flowers come up so quickly And they actually last for about three or four days. And you don't expect this sort of dull, dark green, leafy mound to do anything. And it's because it is such a surprise. And winter tends to be rather slow. So when you get this plant popping up, this flower popping up, it's really joyful. That's what I like about it. It's very low-growing perennial. It's very hardy. It grows very happily in our garden. And you give a little spot by a wall. It's got evergreen leaves, very long, thin evergreen leaves. It only grows to about a foot. And so you've got the plant all year round. And then from 
around late December. It can be earlier or it can be later. Onwards, up pops little short flowers with lilac blue leaves. Like all irises, it has three petals and they are scented. So you can pick them and bring them in the uh, house, but or you can lean down if you want to lean down that far. But they are absolutely lovely at this time of year, and you can plant in amongst your pansies if you want to, or whatever you have on your border. Uh, not so good for a pot, but a really nice little surprise for colder months. I've always known about this plant all my horticultural career, but I remember seeing it, particularly being impressed with it at Kew in the walled garden, the herbaceous garden. It was growing under shrubs and they had two or three different types, including one called Iris Mary Barnard, which is deeper blue flowers, still lilac. And there's a white form. The most common form is the lilac form is one you'll get hold of. The other thing about this plant, it is totally easy to look after. It's pest free, so you won't get any um, anything eating it, no diseases on it. It doesn't need to be divided. It'll just keep on getting a bit bigger. Slowly, it'll spread. So it's easy to maintain, easy to look after. It's a, a joyful little plant in that respect. I think it's a plant that can be grown by everyone. Maybe much further north in England, Scotland, it might be more difficult unless you've got a warm wall, but and I grow it by a warm wall. But it is one of those plants that you don't really notice because it's evergreen all year round. You don't really notice it, it sits there. But it does give you an evergreen leaf, a leaf that goes on throughout the year, which is always useful in a garden anyway. It gives you a bit of structure. It is quite a short plant, but I, I think it's the joy of the plant is the fact that the flowers pop up at a time of year when you don't think there's going to be any flowers in the garden. Claire Austin. Now we're going to rejoin our very own RHS gardening advisor, James Lawrence for another of his monthly sessions on winter houseplant care. Today we're hearing about a plant that provides splashes of red over Christmas, the poinsettia. For many, this plant is thrown away after the winter is up, but they can be kept going for future displays. Over to James. The advisory service, we often get questions about poinsettias uh, coming up to Christmas time. And I can go through some general care tips for poinsettias uh, with you. But first, just addressing a few things we often get asked. So firstly, the very colourful bracts there actually are on poinsettias, which a lot of people mistake for flowers. So they are actually bracts, which is a type of modified leaf. The, the flower itself are actually right in the centre of the bracts there, and they're much, much smaller. We sometimes also get asked regarding poinsettias why they've been associated with Christmas. And I mean, they go back into the 1800s, really, discovered and listed in about 1834. And they were actually named after someone called Joel Robert Poinsett, who was a US United States ambassador to Mexico. He was a very keen botanist as well. And he made it his kind of mission, so to speak, to get poinsettias well used and accepted within the United States and then further throughout the world. 
In terms of their significance with Christmas and that time of year, poinsettias actually were used for a long time. There's lots of history of them in their native Mexico of being used around religious festivals. And in fact, they're actually known in Mexico as the flower of the holy night, partly because of their seasonality, but also because the bracts and some of the leaves kind of resemble star shapes. So there's that association with with the star of, of Bethlehem. And actually, history goes back even further than that. The Aztecs, who were around in, in those sort of regions around Mexico, also used to use poinsettias. There's evidence of them using poinsettias in temples and around the tombs of warriors because it was associated with new life. So that's how the poinsettia came to be associated with Christmas. In terms of general care for poinsettias, which have become such a traditional Christmas plant, really it's best to give them what we call filtered light. So they don't want very strong direct sunlight, but they equally they don't want to be put into a deep shady corner. So away from the window slightly, but maybe on a, on a table as a centerpiece in a room that's still fairly well lit is ideal. Important with poinsettias to keep them away from drafts. They can be temperamental if they are in single glazed windows, for example, or if they're in a position where doorways open and cold air keeps coming in and they may show some signs of distress. So try and keep them somewhere that isn't drafty and that is a fairly constant temperature. In terms of looking after your poinsettia, uh, water them fairly sparingly. So only when the surface starts to look dry should you water. It's very easy to overwater a poinsettia. Misting can be quite effective sometimes as well, just to keep a little bit of humidity around the leaves. That can be quite effective. And when you water, again, make sure the water drains right through and that it's not sitting in a puddle of water that might be inside a pot cover, for example. Many people will buy poinsettias and treat them as seasonal plants, but you can manage to keep them and have them looking good in future years. And just a few tips to help with that. The thing to do is after the new year, and we're getting through January and February, you're looking at March or April, early April, you have to actually be quite hard and prune back the plant. So you can actually cut them back quite hard to 15 centimetres or six inches from the soil level, which a lot of people think is very harsh. But actually, it's that rejuvenation that results from that, which is the key to starting this process of having a good poinsettia for future years. In May, generally, it's a good idea to try and repot them so they've got some fresh compost and some energy for regrowth. I've experimented a little bit over the years, and I tend to find a, a mix of Johnny's number three, which is quite a strong loam-based soil. I tend to use a mix of about 40% Johnny's, 40% general-purpose houseplant compost, and then about 20% grit for kind of additional drainage because again their roots don't want to sit in too much moisture and you want to keep them roughly between 15 to 18 degrees c that's 60 to 65 fahrenheit which is quite specific but that's to get the best out of the regrowth and to help with the health of the plant now the key in terms of the color on the bracts because while all this is going on you won't have that characteristic red or whatever color of the cultivar that you've got is to get that they are actually plants that need to go through a period of having a certain amount of darkness basically so they react the color of the bracts is a reaction to the amount of light and the amount of darkness so from late 
October or start of November, the plants need a minimum of 12 hours darkness, preferably 14. That can be difficult in a lot of homes where you might have the lights on additionally once it starts getting dark outside. So the thing is to either pop them into a cupboard, a dark cupboard, or a good trick sometimes is to put a box, a cardboard box over the top of them to make sure they get a good 12 to 14 hours of darkness. And you will see that that promotes the colour of the bracts to reform. James Lawrence. Next month, he'll be offering some advice on the importance of choosing the right plant for the right room. Well, that's it for this week. If you'd like to find out more about today's topics, go to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. In next week's show, we'll have our annual book special. So it's off to the library I go. From me, Fiona Davison, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.